everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we ask, answer your Bible questions live here on our show. And we just want to um, remind everybody that this is a live show. And so if you have questions that you want to ask um, right here and now, we are more than happy to answer them. We have several that have come in through our website and through Facebook this week. So we're really excited to get to those. And we just thank you all for joining us this evening. And I want to um, just put a quick reminder that this week we are going to be one hour, just one. So I <laughs> just want to put that out there that this is a one hour show and we're going to be um, wrapping it up after that. So I just want to welcome my wonderful friends again, Jay and Wendy, for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> I'm sorry? Thanks for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. You guys are awesome. So um, I'm so glad that we get to study God's word together and answer these awesome Bible questions that have come in from our friends. Um, and so tonight we want to begin with a quick word of prayer and just um, let God send his spirit to us as we open up his word and share what he has to say. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your mercies and your goodness and your love. We ask, Father, now for a double portion of your Holy Spirit, that your spirit would speak through us, that any answers we give that would not be from us, from our minds, Lord, but that your spirit would inspire them and that your holy Bible would be glorified and your son Jesus would be lifted up, that all men would be drawn to him. Lord, may we be hid behind his cross and may Jesus be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we just want to remind everybody we are live here on Facebook, YouTube, and um, what are our other places, Jane, Wendy? Twitch. Twitch. That's right. I'm not on Twitch yet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just want to remind you guys go ahead and um, tune into us, and we also have a podcast. So if you don't catch it live, you can always listen there as well. Um, so I think that takes us to our questions. Let's dive in. All right. Our first question is from Thomas, and he is asking, are we in the end times? Well, short question, long answer, but we're going to do it as efficiently as we can, right? Amen. So, uh, there's no better verse to go to answer that question than probably Matthew 24. And uh, those of you who've been regularly following us, you probably know we spent a lot of time, we keep coming back to Matthew 24. And like two weeks ago, we talked about one of the signs of the times uh, of the last days will be lots of deceptions. There's at least two or three different types of deceptions mentioned in Matthew 24. For example, Matthew 24, 11 talks about many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And, and then the next verse says, Next verse says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I think that really sums up today probably better than anything else. What we're seeing in the world around us where so many people are just losing the love. And, and we're just seeing people attacking each other, people unfriending each other just over political views. And the love is just disappearing. That really is what's necessary to bring us close to one another and allow us to coexist. And the next verse that I really recommend taking a look at is uh, Luke, Luke 17. It's, a, it's sort of the sister verse to Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking about end times. And he says, 
as it was the same as happened in the days of Lot, people will be eating and drinking, and they'll be buying and selling, and they'll be planting and building. But on the day that Lot went out to Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So what Jesus is saying, like even just before his coming, life is going to be going on just as we know it. So don't expect much to change. This is why that day comes like a thief, because everything seems so much just like it the way it's always been. And then Matthew 2, oh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 8. Uh, really recommend you check out that. Uh, this gets back to the same thing where there's a lot of warning about how there's going to be a lot of deceptions in the end, and people are going to be, you know, arrogant, they're going to be ungrateful, unholy, unloving. But at the very end uh, of this verse, Paul is telling us that people are always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. And and just think about now, and, and there's a, a, a verse like that in, in um, Daniel, which says, knowledge shall greatly increase. And we know so much nowadays. We have so much knowledge. We could look up anything at Google. But look how much we're fighting over what is truth, right? What what is the, what is real? What's not? What's fake news? What's not? And that really again sums up our, our issues for today. So uh, there's a couple of verses. I got a couple more. But Tina, do you want to chime in? Uh, I'd love no, to hear I your mean, thoughts. <laughs> my thoughts, uh, and whenever I think of end times, my mind always goes to prophecy. And so for me, it's I mean prophetically. Yeah, we're definitely in end times. And for me, it's like, do you want to look at the prophecy? I know we don't have time to do a told study on the book of Daniel and Revelation, but um, there's definitely some very clear um, uh, prophecies in the book of Daniel, mainly, mainly in chapter 8, uh, the 2300-day prophecy from verse 14. And if you look at verse 17, it says that this prophecy is for the end of time. And... Um, so anyways, when you think about, oh, how do we know when that prophecy began and ended, the 2300 days, um, you know, to sum it up from, it would be, it began in 550 or 457 BC and ended in 1844 AD. And it says that um, that's basically end times. We're living in the antitypical day of atonement. And so, um, and you read about it in Revelation 10 that this is for the time of the end. This is a little book of Daniel that was sealed up and now it's no longer sealed. And um, in Daniel 12, oh. it says that, you know, that this prophecy that was sealed will no longer be sealed up. And so um, from Revelation 10, we see that too. If you want to learn more about that, I would say go to our website and just get more <laughs> in-depth detail rather than just trusting me. But um, yeah, definitely there's prophetic timelines that show we are for sure in end times can i ask a couple of things for a quick quick a quick couple responses to this is are how close are we to the end is this like is this going to come tomorrow or is this like are there some things we need to see unfold yet before we are you know before jesus comes yeah and that's a good question because it flows on what i was going to say based on what tina said where she's talking about time prophecies mm -hmm. and in revelation 10 it does say like end of time, but as some people point out, it's probably saying the end of time prophecies and there's yes. no more time prophecies. So in a sense, yes. um, some people talk about it's sort of like a football game where timers run out and now you're um, sort of on that borrowed time where you just waited for someone to score. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so, so what are a few of those things that still need to happen? Well, like, oh, I don't know, Jay, sorry, do you want to go first? <laughs> no, go ahead on, on that one. Um, I mean, when it comes to like where we're at in time prophecy, it, it kind of depends on the prophecy you're looking at. I mean, literally, if you go to, what is it, the seven in Revelation, um, the seven, seven seals? Place? No, the seven seals, like, we're in the last seal, <laughs> like if, but yeah. then the thing with prophecy is it always repeats and enlarges. Like if you look at the book of Daniel, um, like Daniel two says like, you know, there's these, there's a statue and there's all these kingdoms and then the rock who's Jesus hits it and becomes a mountain and lives forever, which is, you know, Christ's kingdom comes and destroys this earth. So, but then like in seven, you kind of see the same thing, but there's a little more detail. And then chapter eight, there's a little more detail and chapter nine, there's, you know, that just kind of gives you some, some timelines to work with, um, and more detail as well. So, and then chapter 11 is crazy in detail. Like it, it's, it's so in depth. Um, so that's kind of how prophecy works is God gives you kind of an outline and then you kind of expand from there. Um, so as far as things that need to happen, I mean, I don't believe yet that we've had the mark of the beast happen so that's one major thing that needs to occur before jesus christ can come is the mark of the beast will um come about and um everybody in the world will have to decide and honestly the biggest thing too is matthew 24 14 which says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come so mm -hmm. basically we have to have the gospel spread to the entire world. And sadly that has not happened yet, but I do believe that um, that will be happening soon. And I do see it happening in the near future because I mean, the way technology and everything's going, um, there's, it's, it's, it's going to happen soon, I think. Yeah. Great. Um, in the interest of time, we should move on to our next question. I, I've been appointed a timekeeper to keep us moving along. So <laughs> Doing a good job. <laughs> speaking of times. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of time. Um, all right. So our next question here is from D. And D asks, I feel the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. God has Jesus reveal his plan to the angel that tells and shows John the events coming soon. His promises and blessings assure me we are loved. How can I share this good news if everyone else is so afraid? So, okay, so this is, this is an interesting question because basically we're saying, you know, a lot of people think of Revelation in the end times as a very scary thing, but uh, the Bible does also talk about it being a good thing, that um, evil will be done away with and good will prevail. And so, uh, yeah, he has peace, but not everyone does. That's true. And um, when it comes to the book of Revelation, I know it, it does seem like a very intimidating and scary book. Um, I remember when I was first a Christian and I was a teenager and I decided to read the Bible from cover to cover. And when I got to Revelation, I was like, what am I reading? Um, and, it, you know, it, there are some things that seem kind of scary for sure. Um, but when I started studying it again um, with a really great pastor, um, he reminded us that Everything God does is love. God is love. First John um, 4, 8 says God is love. So if this, the Revelation 1, 1 says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So is Jesus Christ love? Yes, he exemplifies love. And he actually, Jesus tells us in Revelation 1, 17, um, you know, 
John sees him, he falls on his face and Jesus laid his right hand upon him and says to him, fear not, I am the first and the last. So Jesus, you know, when John is getting overwhelmed at, you know, what this vision is going to be, Jesus's first words to him are, fear not, don't be afraid. It's not a scary thing. I'm here to tell you what's going to happen so you don't fear and so that you're prepared and you can have peace throughout um, whatever, you know, the things that are going to come to pass. And um, I just wanted to point out, you know, something else that um, Jesus promises us in Matthew 24, verse 6. And I'll just get there real quick. 24. And Jesus says, um, you know, when he's talking about, you know, we're talking about Matthew 24 and how, you know, all these things have to come to pass. But Jesus tells us himself again, um, you shall hear wars, rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So Jesus is saying himself saying, you know, all these things are going to happen, but the end is not yet. Don't don't stress. Don't fear. Um, and the biggest um word of encouragement I would say is um, found in Ephesians 4, um, verse 15. Sorry, and I'm looking up things as I'm going. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 15. And it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into, into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. So when you're speaking about the you know the book of Revelation, you know, you know of course it's truth, but we speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth in love, it's not a scary thing, you know, um, just like anything you might learn about in school. If you speak about it with excitement, it's the way, you know, it's the way present it's presented. Um, if you, you know, talk about biology, it can be something scary or, you know, crazy. But if you talk about it in a way that's, you know, just calm and interesting and, you know, something that you see the positive in it then it becomes a beautiful thing. Um, I just am reminded of when I was in school and I was learning um, my cadaver lab and it was kind of, you know, a scary thing. We're, you know, we are working with dead bodies, but our teacher was a Christian and he was telling us, you know, as much as, you know, it makes me sad. He's like, one, you know, I know that there's a resurrection. So I, you know, I don't feel bad. And he's like, and two, these people, gave their bodies so that other people, so that we can learn how to treat people and save lives. And so he's like, so don't feel like this is a depressing thing. You're looking at somebody dead. No, they gave their last gift, which was their body so that they could learn, you know, so that you can learn how to treat other people and save lives. And so I just, um, just like anything ca can be either, you know, presented well or presented scary, but if we present it in love and Christian love, I think, um, that's the best way to go about it. Any last wow. short words on that, Jay? I think that really sums it up well. And uh, for me, the verse that comes to mind is Amos 3, 7, which says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And I just think of, you know, a family in a car and they're driving together and the kids are saying, Mom and Dad, where are we going? Well, we're not going to tell you. What are we going to do there? Well, we're not going to tell you. Uh, what's it going to be like? We're not going to tell you. I mean, it, what sort of parents would those be? I mean, it, the kids would be scared. They would get afraid. They would have a lot of concerns. They, But 
by telling things ahead of time, you're building trust. You're mm-hmm. you're giving people a reason not to be afraid. You're giving them confidence. So like everything that Tina said, yeah, this is because of love that God is revealing these things so we don't have to be caught off guard. So we don't have to be afraid. And we know where the car is heading. heading. We know what the destination is going to be. We know what it's going to look like. We know how we could be prepared. And yeah, that's, that's God's act of love is telling that to us ahead of time. If he didn't think we could handle it, he wouldn't have told us. It made me think of uh, flying on a plane and hitting turbulence. And, you know, when the, when the pilot tells you ahead of time that they're, you know, the turbulence is coming on and how long it's going to last, you have a lot more confidence in that pilot. But, but when you, when the plane hits turbulence and you weren't expecting it and they weren't expecting it, suddenly you're like, what's going on? So I think of the, um, what revelation tells us is similar to that that it's we're going to go through turbulence but um god is telling us ahead of time so that we can be aware of what it is and what that we're going to have smooth smooth flight afterwards <clears throat> so we have a question from a, a viewer who's joining us on youtube oh yeah let's pull that question up uh eb says is this live every day this is not live every day. This is live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we hope that you get to join us um, today as well as next week. So, yes, this is a weekly show, just Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for asking. Great. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you guys have questions or comments, you want to jump in, uh, feel free to drop them in the comment box on um, YouTube or Facebook or Twitch, wherever yeah. you're wherever you're watching from. And, and Or even just say hi, let us know. Yeah, let us know yeah. where you're connecting from. Yeah, yeah be, we had some cool. really cool, like some people from other countries. I was like, that's awesome. We're super glad that you joined us. Yeah. All right, let's get our next question up here. All right, Jack is asking, after the millennium age, will there be any living non-believers in the flesh to be judged with the dead non-believers at the great white throne of judgment? So we uh, have been getting a lot of questions about the millennium. That's the thousand years uh, that come after Jesus has his second coming. And so are there going to be people on the earth? And the answer is going to be during the millennium, no. And we could see that first from Revelation 19. And if we jump to uh, verse 20, it says, And the beast, you know, everybody talks about the mark of the beast, that beast, it was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burned for burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh so i mean basically saying symbolically jesus is going to come everybody's going to be wiped out from his second coming who's wicked like Mm -hmm. jesus will gather his righteous but the wicked be wiped out and all the birds are going to feast on them this is called the feast of birds and we always talk about how in revelation there's the a God version of something and a Satan version or a wicked version of something. And so you have the feast of the lamb, the wedding feast of, of the lamb that the righteous get and uh, the wicked are feasted on in revelation. And we also see this in Jeremiah 16, four. So they shall die gruesome deaths and shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuge on the face, refuse 
on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. So they're just going to be lying there on the ground. Nobody's even going to be around to bury them, is what Jeremiah 16, 14 is saying. And then... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh -huh. uh, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, in the question, um, they're asking if anybody's alive after the millennium. Um, and I don't know if you were going to jump into that. Or if you wanted me to uh, say a quick so word. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we want to answer that part, then we jump to uh, Revelation 20. Uh, thank you, Dina. Yeah, no worries. In 20 verse 5, is that what you're going for? Yep. So Revelation right. 20 verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And actually, by this time, all the righteous are still alive. So now we're just talking about what's, what's going on with the wicked who were not received. And if we scroll down further in Revelation, it talks about uh, Revelation 20.13 says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to the works. So that also is then ta talking about the same thing, the dead being resurrected again in time to be judged. And of course, before that, we have um, the part about Satan being leashed for a season to uh, deceive the world. Uh, it goes on to the four corners. That's Revelation 28. That comes shortly after all the wicked are uh uh, resurrected, and then we get to the judgment, and then uh, they're wiped out. Do you have anything to add on that, Tina? No, I. That's that's how it goes. <laughs> awesome. That's how I read All it. Right. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's good. Let's uh, yep. jump into our next question then. <clears throat> Wendy, this was a different Wendy than me. Um, ask. I was wondering. <laughs> uh, if we're to keep all 10 of the commandments, but worship on Sunday, why keep the commandment at all? Why not all the laws in the Bible, over 600 to keep? Okay. So why aren't we keeping all the commandments of the Bible? And why are we keeping most commandments, but not all of them? Sure. That's a really great question, Wendy. I really appreciate you asking that. Um, first of all, I just want to say that um, to establish, there's like kind of different parts of the question I want to first answer. So you're saying, you know, we worship, we keep all the commandments, but we worship Sunday, which is not one of the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment says that, you know, um, in Exodus 28 verse, uh, verses 8 through 11, to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, just to be clear. Um, it says, you know, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou work and do all thy labor. Um, at the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. So it's the seventh day Sabbath. And it's very, very specific that God bless the seventh day. You see that in Genesis 2, 2 and 3 at creation, that God, you know, blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, made it holy. So um, there's no biblical grounds to worship on Sunday. Um, therefore it's best to keep God's written law that he wrote in stone with his own finger. Um, 
uh, which is the seventh day Sabbath. And um, so that's what that's what I would say as far as the Sunday worship goes. Um, you know, I believe that my brothers and sisters who worship Sunday are genuine believers and, you know, um, they have right to the tree of life as well. You know, I'm not saying you can't uh, or I'm not discriminating against any um, any denomination. But I think when you learn more truth, um, I think it's best to you know, follow it and practice it to the best of your knowledge. Um, the second thing is, you know, God's still, God's law is still binding. Um, the law being the 10 commandments. Now that's, this is kind of the confusing part when it comes to the new Testament. Cause it says law in different places and it's the same word commandment law, um, in the Greek, but, um, based on the context, you kind of know, is this talking about the law of Moses or the law of God? And those are two different things because the law of God are the Ten Commandments, you know, that he wrote, like I said, in stone on his finger <laughs> with his finger. And God says, I change. I'm the Lord. I change not. But there was a law that Moses wrote. And those are the 600 laws I believe that you're talking about, you know, that you can't um, like if you have a, a servant and they if they run away, like how you you know, deal with them. Um, you know, if you have an ox and it kills your, yeah, another person or another person with your ox kills somebody because, you know, if you didn't restrain them, you know, what's the punishment for that? Like there's all these different laws in the old Testament that are, you know, like I said, they're written by the book of Moses or called the book of Moses and they were handwritten laws by him. And you read that in Deuteronomy 31. Um, if you want to pull it up really quick, uh, 31 verse nine, just kind of so that um, you kind of have a jumping off point. So, you know, I'm not just making this up because um, I know the Old Testament tends to be a little bit confusing because um, there's all these, you know, different things going on. It's like, well, what is, you know, God saying now? What, you know, what is, is this for us now? Is this not for us now? You know, a lot of things like these ceremonies um, and different Sabbaths days, um, like, like every seven years you took a Sabbath on your land. So you're not supposed to grow any crops every seven years and um, the 50 year of Jubilee, things like that. Um, so in Deuteronomy 31 verse nine, it says, and Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests. So there is a law that Moses wrote. Those are the 600 laws. Um, and again, you go down to verse, um, uh, do, 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 where is it? 20. Sorry, 26. Um, and it says, just so that this is very clear, uh, take this book of the law and put it on the side of the ark. So in the ark, in the, the sanctuary, the law, the God's law the, on the two pieces of stone, the Ten Commandments, they were placed inside of the ark. Now, Moses's law was handwritten on a scroll or paper, and it was placed outside of the ark on the side of it. Um, and it says in verse 26, take this book of the law and put it on the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. So the law of Moses was against you. God's law is for you. Um, just like it says in Psalm 19, I believe verse 8, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So the law of God is different than the law of Moses. The law of God is a blessing. The law of Moses, honestly, was kind of a curse. Um and then as you go um, as far as, you know, why don't we keep those 600 laws? 
Um, you see that in Colossians chapter two. I think we went into this actually last week a little bit. Uh, Colossians two verses nine through 14, just to get some context. Um, and that just kind of explains, you know, the book of the law of Moses. That's what was written. Um, that's what was nailed to the cross. So if you um, look in verse nine, talking about Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So it's talking all about Jesus that we're, you know, buried with him in his baptism were raised by through faith in the operation of God. Um, but you get down to verse 14, um, you know, because the big thing that the Jews were pressing the New Testament Christians to do was um, practice the law of Moses, which part of that was one of the 600 laws was the practice of circumcision. And that was one of the laws of Moses. It's not mandatory anymore to be an Israelite or be one of God's people. Um, so anyways, in verse 14, though, Colossians 2, 14, it says, blotting out the handwriting, handwriting, like we just read in Deuteronomy 31, um, of ordinances that was against us. Again, it's the law of Moses, those 600 laws, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So very clear. This is talking about those 600 laws of Moses in the Old Testament um, that he wrote that was, you know, contingent on the Israelites being faithful to God in all these ceremonies. Um, so that's, or people call it the ceremonial law. However, God's law, um, the 10 commandments written by God, by his finger <laughs> in stone, placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, um, that law is still binding. And Jesus confirms that in Matthew 5, 17, that says, you know, heaven and earth shall pass away, but um, nothing basically in this law shall a pass and pass away till heaven and earth um, be, um, you know, to all be fulfilled. So it's talking about, you know, not just now, but till the end of time, God's law does not go away. So um, I hope that was kind of concise. <laughs> Sorry if that took a while. Thank you so much. And, and did we touch on this a little bit? Uh, was it last week? Talking about uh, the yeah. way... These things maybe weren't even eliminated, but now we found a new way that they're even fulfilled in a larger way, yes. a greater mm -hmm. way. Yes. Amen. That was in last week. So if anyone wants to go back and watch that, they are welcome to do so. Um, all right, let's get our next question up here. Edwin is oh. asking. Is... Is you, were we going to do that question today? Are we doing that question today no. or next week? <laughs> <laughs> Which Preview one is that? For next week. Is that the one for Syria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, the question, the answer is no, <laughs> but the 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 more in depth answer we'll say next week. Just came in. Yeah, that one okay. just came in. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's get our other next question up here. All right, so this one is from Truth, and, and Truth is asking, why did the God of the Bible require a blood sacrifice? If he's God and all-powerful, he could just say, I forgive you, and there wouldn't be a need of a blood sacrifice. That is a very good question, and a lot of people uh, grapple with this. And I think first thing to step back and think about is, as God said in Genesis, uh, Genesis 2 and then we hear it again in 3 you know if you 
if Adam and Eve sinned, or, or you know, ate forbidden fruit, the consequence would be death. And that's just naturally, that has to be the consequence of sin, because sin causes death, and if it's not dealt with, it's going to cause the death of even innocent people, as we saw in the case of Jesus. And then later, you know, the, the Christians and God's people always being persecuted and killed, able. Like, sin cannot be tolerated. People who sin have to be eliminated. But, or, or people who continue to be in sin and not give it up and, and be worked with by Christ. There's no, they can't be left in place. So, what we have is God put in a, a system, though, where he still says there's still going to be death. There's still going to be that consequence because that law is important. We can't just ignore the consequence of sin. I need to remind you daily that sin is a bad thing. I need to make sin a really uh, scary thing to you so you understand, don't do it again. So what God then is then has death be a continual reminder. So we see in Genesis, God gives them sheepskins. Uh, so I don't have the verse, Genesis 3, I think 20 something. God gives them robes, uh, Adam and Eve robes. That was the first sacrifice. And if you jump to Revelation 13, 8, it mentions the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, referring to Jesus. That day, in a sense, Jesus died. Jesus was that lamb, and he was now being represented by that lamb that was being killed. And so why does it have to be killed again? What's the significance? If we look at Leviticus 17, verse 11, God says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins, for it is the blood that shall make, a, make an atonement for the soul. So the, the blood is, as God says, where life is. You know, the, that's where... Um, I'm going to say there's something significant when, when there's a consequence for sin. And ultimately, then we see the shedding of the blood of Christ being that blood that gives life to us. And it's a daily reminder. Um, blood then also becomes a symbol of a covenant then, too. God says if a meaning kind of covenant is going to need to be symbolized with the shedding of blood. And if you look at Exodus 24, 8, um, it talks about how then the children of Israel enter a blood covenant with God. And, and the New Testament talks about how Jesus then, by his blood being shed, created a new covenant with us. The New Testament, the new covenant from that comes from the shedding of Christ's blood. And so how do we know all this, though, of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ? John 5, 39, Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think they have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Everything in the Old Testament pretty much is pointing to Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, they can't wrap the real head around Jesus. They've never seen him. He's so different than anything the world's ever seen before, especially as sin gets more and more depraved, more sinful. But what we have is uh, these symbols, again, that are telling us what Jesus is going to be like, helping us understand the plan of salvation. As we mentioned earlier, God doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his prophets. Genesis 3, God lays out the plan of salvation about how there would be um, a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, though his heel would be bruised. He's telling us about Jesus who put an end to Satan's reign of terror. 
but he would be bruised. Um, Colossians 2.17 then says that these sacrifices are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's telling us about Jesus. First uh, Corinthians five seven. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. The whole Passover pointing to Christ. But again, why was there anything significant in the slaughtering of these animals? And um, the person asking the question. Uh, let me flip back to see who that was. Oh, I just lost everything. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, that was truth. That's right. So, yes, as Truth uh, points out, doesn't it seem a bit wrong if God, God required animals to die if, if he could have just done it a different way? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, as God says, it's the sacrifices. Um, sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 3. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder for sins every year. This one's talking specifically about the Day of Atonement. That's why it says every year. Um, it's a, and Paul says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not actually taking away sins, but as verse 3 says, it's a reminder of sins. It's supposed to be a terrible thing every time you would go up to that lamb that you're going to have to have slaughtered because you sinned. Mm -hmm. You know, and then taking that knife and slitting his throat, having the blood then spill out. That's supposed to be traumatic. That is supposed to be bad. But what happened? We get to the point where you go down to the future and they're just slaughtering animals like it's nothing. You know, oh, I sin. Okay, well, I'll just go buy a lamb and kill it. They lost the meaning. That's not what God intended. It was supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be a terrible thing and encourage people to not sin anymore, to stay righteous so that the symbolic lamb wouldn't have to be slain and pointing to then, you know, less suffering for Christ. For our sins. Tina, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? You know, I I think that's really awesome, uh, a really good answer, and I totally agree with that. Um, the only thing I would add, in a way, um, I guess it like where my mind always <laughs> goes back to my two favorite things is um, maybe my three favorite: the law of God, um, mm -hmm. prophecy, and then of course the sanctuary. And so, um, like when you understand the sanctuary service, um, really it's like the ABCs of salvation. Um, the sanctuary always points us to, you know, how are we saved? Because, you know, um, God gave his people the sanctuary in the time of Moses, when his people were coming out of slavery, they had, they really had lost um, sight of who God was and how it is that he was going to redeem them through the Messiah, Jesus Christ in the future. And, or, back then it was a future. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when I look at the sanctuary, to me, that just makes it perfectly clear. Um, as far as, you know, how we are saved, you know, just like, you know, you said, Jay, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And um, that's because, you know, if, if we, the wages of sin is death, um, you know, in Romans um, 6.23, yeah. the wages of sin is death, but the gift of the same verse says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there had to be a price that was paid for our sin. You know what I mean? Like, um, because we broke God's law 
And um, in Isaiah, it says that, you know, sin has separated us from God. And if we if we break God's law, that the um, the breaking of the law is sin. That's what the Bible says. And so for in order for us to be made right again with God, um, to be with God, we had to have a bridge that would um, bridge that gap. And that bridge is Jesus. And so um, in order to pay for our sins, you know, that sacrifice of the Holy Lamb, Jesus had to be, you know, slain t- to pay for us. And um, when you look at the sanctuary, um, I know I touched on it, I think last week as well. Um, in the sanctuary, you have um, the outer court, which has two articles of furniture, which is the altar of sacrifice and then the brazen laver of water. And that first Sac, um, altar sacrifice. That first piece of furniture that you see in the entire sanctuary is where the 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 animals were slain to symbolically represent Jesus, the Lamb that would be slain for um, the sins of the, His people. And so, if you had faith pointing towards, or you have faith now pointing back to that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, um, you know you're saved by grace through faith. And so, um, when you see you know, the blood of that lamb that was slain in the, in the holy place, um, that blood was, didn't just stay there, uh, or excuse me, out in the outer court. It went into the holy place. Um, it was sprinkled on the altar of incense. And then once a year, um, on the last day of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, there was a special sacrifice made that went all the way into the most holy place. And what's so interesting is, you know, Paul actually talks about Jesus being our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Um, and you read yeah, about Hebrews it in 10. Hebrews, uh, or actually I was looking at Hebrews 8 um, yeah. and 8 and 9. I mean, 8, 1 and 2 says that there's a heavenly sanctuary. But you're right, Hebrews 10 probably mentions it as well. Um, but just in Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says, you know, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but Jesus, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and coats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your mm-hmm. conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Um, so basically, Jesus offers his own blood so that we can fully be clean and have remission of sin. Um, just like it's, and it said, it actually in this chapter, it quotes, um, um, for without the shedding of blood is no, oh, here in 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. So basically we had to have the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from um, the breaking of God's law, because without it, we just, our, our sins are recorded in heaven, but that blood of Jesus, you know, that's what we can use to blot out those sins that are recorded. So praise God. <laughs> There's a mighty tool that's greater than our sin, and that's Jesus Christ and his blood to wash us and um, erase all those sins that are um, that are recorded. Um, and Jay, I'm sorry, did you want to say something from Hebrews 10? Oh, no, I mean, it says a lot of the same things you just said, too. Okay. All right. That was, I think that was a great answer. Very thorough. Um, in the interest of time, I think we need to move on to the next question. We have about three left in about 15 minutes. So 
Um, we'll have to keep these to about five minutes each. So Steve is asking, is it okay to question God about why he's allowing all this mess going on in our country? It's going to affect all our grandchildren and all of us. Yeah, I think that's a really great question and very, very valid um, to, to, you know, be like when you feel upset and you want to be upset with God because you feel like, you know, you're, God, you're in control. Why are you allowing all this terrible stuff to happen? Um, you know, I don't think it's wrong to, to question God in a healthy way. Obviously, we have to recognize that, you know, he is God, um, but also be you know, have a real relationship with God. Um, I, I always think of the verse in Isaiah 118 that says, you know, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God asks us to come and reason with him. God wants us mm -hmm. to, you know, to have a conversation with him. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, though your sins be a scarlet, they'll be white as snow. God's saying, whatever's wrong, I can make it right. You know, and Jesus um, is the one that, you know, um, we go to the father through Jesus. And when you look at Jesus and, you know, how he dealt with people, he was just so loving and so merciful and so gracious. Um, you know, we see him being such a good God and, you know, we see in Jesus one who suffered too. Um, it says in Hebrews that he's a faithful high priest because he suffered with us be, and he knows what we go through. He experienced every source of pain and trial that we could have suffered in our lives. He went through everything and he bore our sins on his shoulders when he died upon the cross. He he knows our shame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. He knows everything we go through. Um, but yet he's um, just a faithful high priest. He's a faithful um, caretaker of, of us, his people. And, um, you know, it's, it's okay to come to God and be like, God, I don't understand why this is going on, but it's important to recognize that God sees the bigger picture. Um, I always think about, uh, a story that somebody said once, um, really quick. And there was a lady who was at a gas station and she was done pumping her gas. She got back in her car and a man in a semi truck saw her leave and started chasing after her. And the woman was very scared of this man in the semi truck. because She was just like trying to get rid of him and she could not get rid of him. And eventually she pulled over because she was running out of gas. It, it, she just was running away from him for so long. And she pulled over and ran out of her car and was screaming for help. But then that same man who was in the semi truck, which had an elevated view up here, saw that there was another man that had slipped into her back seat and was trying to harm her. And so he came and removed that criminal who was, you know, trying to, trying to murder her. And so I think sometimes, you know, we see all these bad things and we think, oh, God's up here. He's, you know, letting this bad thing happen. But really he's up there trying to protect us because he sees something we don't see because he's got that elevated view. So um, anyways, I just <laughs> hope that sort of answers your question a little bit. Um, you know, we have to trust God, um, even though, yes, you know, it, we don't always understand why, but uh, we serve a God that, you know, loves us. And um, I know this is not always a consolation, but Romans 8.28 does say that all things work together for good 
to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And so even though the individual things that happen might not be good, but the end result is going to be something great. I think that's, that's beautiful. And so it, just to summarize there, it, it, it is okay to talk to God about these things and to ask him why, why these things are happening. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And we say it's totally okay to question God and, and wrestle with God. And there's a lot of different chapters, whole chapters in the Bible where I say people are even doing that. Mm -hmm. Like if you, and and people don't have to be perfect to communicate with God. He meets you where you're at. You know, we talked about before, like the parable of the uh, prodigal son where He's coming and then the father sees him when he was yet afar off and starts running to him. Mm. You know, so yeah. God just wants you to start heading in his direction. He'll meet you there. Amen. And he's man enough or God enough, whatever, to handle you blaming him for stuff, for you wrestling with him. And just read Psalm 88. I mean, you, this is one of probably the, one of the most depressive Psalms in the book of the Bible. You know, and this guy's just struggling and ends with the word darkness. I mean, it's just such a dark psalm, but it's in the Bible just to let you know it's okay to be struggling with these things. It's okay to have these issues. You don't have to always end on a happy happy note um, in the sense of, you know, putting on a fake face. Mm-hmm. Be real with God. Psalm 109, this is the angry psalm where this guy is just asking God to do these horrible curses on his enemy, but it's okay to be angry when you're having a conversation with God, mm-hmm. you know, when you're taking it he to him, it. he can handle it. He can handle it. Yeah. And then just lamentations, Jeremiah, you go through all these verses and people often are blaming God for things that he didn't do. And the Bible isn't trying to tell you God did those things. What the Bible is trying to tell you is God can handle being blamed for those things while you try to work out what's going on and work on your relationship with him. And then we get to Job, right? Everybody knows the book of Job. And it's that ultimate book of a man who suffered horribly, right? He suffered in health. He suffered mm-hmm. in losing his family, his job, his everything he had. Everything, right? Except for his life. And I guess he still had his wife too, who said, just die. <laughs> you know, and and so, but... But Job, through everything, even when his friends show up and start blaming him and saying and judging him, saying he did something wrong, Job is still calling out to God, still saying, God, I don't know what I did wrong. You must have made a mistake. Come on, God, what's going on? He's communicating with God. He's trying to maintain that connection. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what God wants. Amen. As, as Tina said, it's that relationship that is so important. That Just keep holding to God no matter what. Those everlasting arms will never fail you. Amen. So let's dive into our next question here, because this also pertains to questioning God. Is it fine to ask or question God when you are experiencing sickness, like infected with COVID-19 or facing a tragic event? Yeah, and I mean... I think, you know, obviously, I think the book of Job is like the best example of kind of, you know, how to, um, that, you know, God is able to um, handle us when we're at our lowest points 
Um, you know, just like you said, Job, he had his health totally affected. You know, he didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't think he was going to live. And he was asking God, I'm in so much pain and misery. Like, just let me die. Mm -hmm. Cursed be the day I was born. You know, he was in so exactly. such a wreck. And God comes to him at the end of the book of Job and just kind of asks him some questions. And, um, and Job never really gets an answer. Um, God just kind of says, you know, where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I made this and this and this? And Job just kind of recognizes his place with him and um, says, you know, God, you're God. And, you know, I'm sorry for, for questioning you. But I think, again, you have to have that, that relationship with God mm -hmm. um, to kind of get to that place. And um, but I do want to give you some hope that even if you are struggling, God hears your prayers. God is near the brokenhearted. Um, if you read in Psalm 34, this is probably my favorite chapter. This is what got me through college, this chapter, Psalm 34, because there's just so many blessings in it that are just so important for somebody who's going through a rough time. Um, and, you know, it starts out um, in the chapter that's saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Um, the best thing you can do when you're going through these hard times is, Lord, let me find something to praise you about. Um, and he talks about he, being this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Um, and it says um, in verse, um, sorry, it says later on in the chapter um, that the Lord is nigh unto them that be of a broken heart in verse 18 and save such as be of a contrite spirit. So if you have a broken heart, if you're struggling, if you're going through a rough time, God is near you. Um, especially in those times and because God loves you and it's so easy to forget that when you're struggling and suffering, but God is with you and he loves you. Um, and it says in, in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not to say that he's going to immediately take away all the pain or take away all the problems, but God is going to get through it with you. And no matter what, you know, you may go through in this life, um, like I said, God is with you. And as long as you, you know, keep your faith in him, you have that assurance of eternal salvation. You have that assurance that everything will one day be right again. And that um, there'll be a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering. Um, like it says in Revelation 21, verse four, that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have passed away. So, um, yes, it's okay to struggle, <laughs> but know that when you're struggling and when you're suffering, most of all, that God is near you. And, um, those are the times he's closest to you. Amen. 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 Any, uh, quick things to add to that? I don't want to. I like okay. to end exactly as That was Tina beautiful. Yeah. All right. Um, then we are going to dive into, I believe our last question for the evening. Oh, this is a hard one. <laughs> Unique is asking, what's your favorite Bible verse? <laughs> Who wants to go first? Tina looks ready. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Jacob, but I was going to say, Unique, you're awesome. Uh, how sweet of a question is that? I love that. So wherever you are, Unique, I just want to say, I hope that you share with us your favorite verse, because I thought that was very sweet and thoughtful to ask us, what is our favorite verse? Um, but I will say, um, since I was a child, my first favorite Bible verse 
it was probably Matthew chapter seven, verse 14. Um, and in Matthew chapter seven, let me just make sure I read it verbatim because this is a question or this is a verse. Verse that um, I absolutely loved when I was a child because um, it was how I felt. <laughs> um, if this makes any sense, it says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. Um, and it just reminded me because when I was a little girl, there was a poster. Um, I went to public school and, but this, this poster stuck out to me and it said, what is right is not always popular. And what is popular is not always right. And so I always kind of felt <laughs> like the odd person out because I really, since a little girl, I really wanted to obey Jesus. I really wanted to keep his commandments. I really love God. And, um, I kind of didn't fit in <laughs> uh, with a lot of, you know. I was going to say, you are odd. Most people probably would not have that as their favorite verse. <laughs> but it's odd in a good way. <laughs> I hope so. I feel bad for every verse that doesn't have a person who has it as their favorite verse. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, but I, I, I like that because it made me feel like God recognized like, hey, just because you're different or unique. Hey, just like your name, unique. Um, <laughs> that's okay. God, you know, God sees that as something special. We're peculiar people and we're called to be different in this world because, you know, we're pil well, we're pilgrims going to a different land. So um, anyways, that's my verse. Amen. Yay. Okay. So I didn't have a favorite verse for the longest time because I could not settle my mind on one. But recently I settled down on 1 John 4, 8, which is he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. And I actually grew up with people always saying all the time that God is love, God is love. And or, or this mantra, God is love all the time, or oh no, God is good all the time. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. but this concept of God is love, like to me, it just was so generic, so meaningless, so hollow, mm -hmm. and we used it so many times. But now I'm getting to the point, like as Tina was really emphasizing well today, tonight, like this is the key to understanding the entire Bible. This is the theme yeah. that unites mm -hmm. the entire Bible. This is the core to understanding God. This is the yeah. core to understanding the law and his requirements. This is key and essential to understanding life mm -hmm. itself. Einstein, you know, was always mm -hmm. looking for this law or this concept that would just unite everything in the universe and and and, and you know just this simple rule that explains everything. Mm -hmm. And I think I think really is just God is love. That really explains everything. It brings the entire Bible together. It explains all those rules that, you know, might not be anymore, but are actually now greater fulfilled. I mean, it's it's everything. Why did Jesus do what he do? Why did God make us? Why are we in God's image? Why um, are we suffering even now? It all comes back to because God is love, and sometimes it's hard to see why. But yeah, as, as God told Job, you know who are we we don't understand it all yet but there is a day that will come that we will see everything everything will be made clear and we will all bow down and worship god and and acknowledge how just how fair how good how righteous how perfect how wonderful how loving he is mm -hmm. amen. amen all right my favorite verse and i'll be really quick um i, I there's a lot of verses I love, and it's really hard to choose. But the one that I would have to say is my favorite because God spoke this to me um, in the context of a relationship at the time. Uh, he said, 
uh, or was was is the verse is Psalm thirty seven, um, verses three to three to five or seven or so, somewhere in there, mostly verse four. Um, Commit your way to the Lord, and He will fulfill the desires of your heart. And um, that is, He really He has done that. And uh, you know, some I I attempted to I put that into action as best as I could, and and then He gave me this one. So. Um, uh, through whom he has been fulfilling the desires of mm. my heart. So that is my favorite verse. <laughs> That's a really good one. Uh, God gave me the verse too before I met my husband. So I agree. It's a great verse. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you commit your way to the Lord because only yes. then will he can give you the right person. So, yes. yes. And when God puts two people together, it's beautiful. And you guys are such a great couple. And we got one comment. Uh, right on point. Michael Gray says, my favorite verse is Isaiah 55, 9. Ooh. Let's join if I As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, wow. We needed that verse earlier. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> to, yeah. Thank you. I guess to some of the earlier questions. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. All right. Well, that concludes our questions for this evening. And we are about one hour just going over a little bit but pretty close so uh who would like to wrap us up i was gonna say you don't oh um if you don't mind um before we go i just want to remind everybody that if you have questions that you want answered on our show next week be sure to go to our website bibleask.org forward slash ask and um when you fill in your question make sure um there'll be a little um thing to click yes or no, which will say, do you want this answered on the show? And so click yes if you want it answered here on our live show next week. Um, And be sure to uh, check us out on, like I said, Facebook, YouTube, Switch, (laughs) Twitch, I can't say it right. (laughs) And um, and, in our podcast as well, Bible Ask. And um, before we go, Jay, would you mind saying a quick word of prayer? Let's do it. Lord, thank you so much for this time to come together to dive into your word. Thank you for these wonderful questions uh, people are asking. Pray that you, your spirit will be with each and every person seeking your truth to guide them into your truth and keep us all from deception and just preserve us until that day you come, Lord. There's so much pain and suffering going on in this world and I pray for relief for everyone. And just most of all, again, just Prepare us for that day when we can see you face to face and be united with you. And this, Lord, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to see you again next week. Remember Friday, um, next Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless. Thank you.